Well, uh, there were two games this past week that I was really excited for. The first one was uh, an indoor soccer game that I played in on Thursday night at the Dome in Bridgewater. And the second one was a college football game uh, that took place yesterday. Um, for those of you that don't care about college football, um, college football has started. And I know a lot of you are like, real football doesn't start until next weekend, Stephen, because that's when the Patriots start. I get that. They'll have their time. Uh, college football felt, feels like real football. And I watched it yesterday. And, uh, and uh, like a lot of you, uh, you know, you're excited. You block out that time in your schedule. Does anybody else do that? Like, you're not planning anything else when that game is on, whether it's the Patriots or a college team or baseball, whatever. Like, that's, like, that's your, especially like the kickoff weekend. Like, you haven't watched it in a while. Um, so that's how I felt um, for both games. Like, I, I knew that I wasn't going to plan anything else on Thursday night because I had a soccer game. And on Saturday at noon, I wasn't going to plan anything when my favorite football team, the Illinois Fighting Illini, who historically have been horrible my entire life, um, I think they've won one bowl game in my life. It's ama- I, I know suffering well um, on Saturday <laughs> afternoons. Uh, so I knew I wasn't going to plan anything then. Um, but on the, here's the difference between those two, is in one of those, I was on the team, and the other one, I was a spectator watching the game, right? Both games I looked forward to, and I was really excited about, and really eager um, for the game, but my participation, totally different, right? Thursday night, like our whole night was kind of planned around making sure um, that we could put our girls down to sleep in time, that I could get ready. You know, I'm putting on my jersey and my shin guards, and I'm stretching, and I'm getting to the game early, and, and even during the game, like when I'm not playing and I'm on the sidelines, side I'm not just like walking around, but I'm like cheering for my team and like trying to give advice, even though I don't know what advice to give because I'm the worst player on my team, clearly. But like, like I'm all in on that game when I'm there. And then even after the fact, like I get home and I'm exhausted and I'm sore. And like three days later, I'm still like sore because it's the first soccer game I've played in months. Now that's totally different than watching a football game, right? Football game, the game starts, and all I did, like, I didn't even move my seat. All I did was switch the channel over to the game, and I watched it. And even, like, in the middle of the game, our family was hungry, so I missed one of the quarters because I went outside to cook and to grill out burgers for my family. And then I came back and I watched it. And once the game was over, that was it. Like, I didn't feel sore or pain or anything like that. It was just, that was the game, right? And uh, I think it's really easy um, for us to see the difference between being a, a player and a spectator when it comes to a sport, right? Like in both cases, we really look forward to the game, but the impact and the investment's totally different. Um, I think in church, it's the same way. I think you are either a spectator or you're a player when it comes to your involvement in the kingdom of God and the church and what God wants to do. And I think most people are really good spectators at watching ministry and church happen but playing in the game we're not quite there now they're totally different but but spectators and players both look forward to sundays like everybody here uh like you you prioritize being here on sunday some of you have been doing that your entire life 
Um, and, and like Sunday mornings, you know you're not going to plan anything else because this is when um, you come to church with other Christ followers and you get to hear from God and, and hopefully you're encouraged and, and you, you can't wait to come back. But the difference between a spectator and a player is the player takes responsibility for what's happening in ministry. And they're coming early. And they might even wear like a special shirt because they're serving in the kids' ministry or they're serving in the cafe that day. And they're staying after everybody to get everything cleaned up. Um, and, and here's my challenge for you today um, is if you know that you're kind of a spectator, that today you'll be challenged to consider joining the team. And here's why. Here's what makes Grace Church different from a football team is we have a spot for everybody. Like you don't have to try out. There's not like auditions or, or like tryouts that you have to meet a certain standard. Like you can be a part of this team because we believe one of our values is being personally involved. We believe God has a role for every Christ follower to play in his family. And our job is to help you to discover what it is. So different from a football team or a soccer team where like you've got to make a spot on the roster and hope you get a jersey, like there's already a jersey waiting for you. And this is why it excites me. This, this Sunday is a little different than our other Sundays because usually we do like a three or four week teaching series. We just got a one at the movies next week. Um, for the month of September, we're doing one where it's looking at four of the most commonly asked questions about the Bible and church, and we're answering some really hard questions in terms of faith. But before we jump into that, as we're starting this new year together, and as we're, uh, a lot of you are going back to school and patterns and all that stuff are, are kind of shifting over the next few weeks, um, we wanted to kind of step back and have a message um, that was more high level, that looked at the vision of where we feel like God's taking us and how you can be involved. Um, it's hard to believe what God has done at Grace Church just in the past year, right? I mean, I think back to a year ago this week. We were meeting in a library, at Bridgewater Public Library in the basement. This sounds like a cult when I say it out loud, actually. Um, and there were, se- <laughs> there were 74 of us this week that met, and we had pizza, and we talked about life groups. Uh, who is here for that? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you were at that meeting. Very few of us, which means... Um, most of you have joined us uh, in the past year. And uh, two weeks later, we kicked off at uh, Bridgewater Raynham High School. Um, and in two weeks, we're having our one-year launch anniversary, like our big birthday party. It's hard to believe we've been meeting for a year, almost a year. We've been meeting for 50 weeks now. And so we'll have a big birthday party here. Um, you can bring all your presents and just give them to me. It'll be awesome. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but uh, it's hard to believe what God has done in one year, isn't it? Like some of you have just started coming the past few months and, and you've, you've just, you dive in, like you're all in on this thing. Some of you started coming when we were at BR High School. Some of you came to our grand opening in February and like you saw that God was doing something different and you wanted to join in and you wanted to be a part of it and we're so thankful. Some of you are guests and like you're just kind of checking us out today and you're curious and you kind of want to stay anonymous and that's, that's totally fine too. But I want to tell you something. God is doing something special and unique here and I am so excited to be a part of it. And I can't take credit for us, and nobody can. It just means God had bigger dreams for this thing than we ever did. And to see what God's done in our first year of ministry excites me. But what excites me even more is where God's taken us. So we have way more people coming on Sundays than we anticipated coming. And so like starting next week, this is a mental note, we're going back to three services. We have to add a third service. Um, because we don't have enough seats for everybody that comes. The last service, the 9.30, um, there, there weren't more than two seats together 
anywhere in the auditorium. And so starting next week, I want you guys to make a mental note. And I'm going to hang out here for just a moment because I want you guys to note that if you came next week at 11 o'clock, you'd either be really late or really early for a service, okay? Um, so starting next week, we have uh, new service times at 9, 1025, and 1145. So I want you to make a mental note, and I want you to even think like, okay, which one do we want to go earlier or later? Um, because here's why. We want to make sure that any guest or friend that comes and wants to hear about God has the most comfortable experience possible, right? And if you invite a friend or a neighbor with you, you want to make sure that they can find a parking spot, and you want to make sure that, that they're not like having to wade through a crowd to get here, and you want to make sure that they can find a seat and don't have to like climb over people to get here, right? So that starts next week. Please make a mental note, and don't be the one that's like yelling at our greeters that you came early or late because you forgot about the service times. Um, we're doing this because we believe God's going to continue to work, and we want to be a part of it. Um, we can't do this without more people moving from spectator to player because with three services means we need uh, another uh, group of kids volunteers and other people to help in the cafe and other people to help pick up signs at the end of the day and other people to help in the parking ministry. Like all of the different things we do, more people in media, more people helping with worship because now our worship team's gonna be stretched a little bit further. Um, so that's why we're talking about this now because we believe God's gonna continue to move and we don't want to be the bottleneck that slows God down, right? In the next month, and we've mentioned this a few times, we're starting a coffee shop that'll meet in that space during the week, Monday through Saturdays. It'll be a nonprofit. It's its own separate nonprofit organization that's partnered with Grace Church, but it's an opportunity for people to come in and connect from the community. We're not going to like preach at them and, and like, I'm not going to stand at the door and like talk about Jesus every time they come in. Um, it's a totally different staff that's leading it, but it's all people from Grace Church that believe in our values and our mission. Um, it's an opportunity to use this space that you have been so generous in helping us to renovate to this so that we're not just using it on Sundays, right? So that we're, we're, we're able to connect with the community. We, have, we already have uh, West Bridgewater School started, uh, middle school and high school started this past week. And we have like 15 teenagers who just walk by here Every single like, day as they're coming home from class, like this is a space that could be used to connect with more and more people from the community. So we want to do that. We can't do that without your help. So I wanted to look at a passage in Scripture that to me like, articulates and shows what God's desire is for every one of his Christ followers to have, the kind of urgency he wants us to live with. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at a passage um, that I think captures the heart behind what I hope to be and what I hope Grace Church to be in the community. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Here's what it says. Despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. And here's what that means, by the way. It says... Despite Jesus' instructions, Jesus, this is early on in Jesus' ministry, and he knew that there were a lot of religious leaders that didn't like him and that were threatened by him because he didn't, like, because he preached truth, and he wasn't arrogant and powerful. He, he was humble and a servant, and he didn't, like, unlike the religious leaders that said, give us all your money, and then we'll let you into heaven. Jesus said, no, your call is to love people. And they felt like he was contradicting everything that they were saying, and he was. And so they saw him as an enemy and a threat, and they'd follow him from town to town, and they'd just sit in the back. And yet Jesus still let them in. Isn't that amazing? 
Like imagine if you had a group of people that you knew hated you and would eventually kill you and you still let them in the room. So that's why Jesus kept it on the DL because he wanted to be able to reach and encourage and teach as many people as possible. And he knew the more of his enemies that found out, the slower he'd be able to do that. But it still spread because this, this incredibly authoritative rabbi named Jesus was going from town to town and telling people and healing and doing these miracles. And these towns were tiny. Like you think West Bridgewater's small? Like these towns were like a few hundred people. And every five minutes, you've got a new town. So you could walk 10 minutes and go through two or three towns. So Jesus, this powerful figure going from town to town, like word spread. And people were walking from all these different towns just to hear him because he was different from anything that they'd ever seen before. Verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Which I love that little pause in the middle of this. Like, everybody wants to be around Jesus, but he still shows us this pattern that no matter how busy you are, you still need to step away to spend time with your spiritual father and let him recharge you. One day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees and teachers of religious law, they're sitting nearby. These are those enemies. And they're sitting in the back of the room. And yet Jesus still allows them to be there. It's crazy to me. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. See, people could tell something special was happening. Like, word had gotten out. The crowd was growing. Like, there was buzz around what what was happening with Jesus. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So, by the way, I want to have the kind of friends that would carry me across town on a mat just in hopes that I might be able to meet with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Don't we all want to be that kind of friend? Don't we all want to have that kind of friend? Like they were so eager for their friend to meet with Jesus because they knew Jesus was this guy's only hope. He was the only hope that this guy had for healing of his pain. It was only Jesus, and this might be their only opportunity to bring him to Jesus. So they were urgent because they didn't want to miss it. Like, I want to live with that same kind of urgency towards my friends because I do believe that spiritually Jesus is my only hope and my friend's only hope. And my friends and my neighbors and my family who are spiritually disconnected from Jesus, they're like the man who's paralyzed. They're in pain. And they, they may not know that their only hope is Jesus, that the only way that they can find healing is Jesus. So I want to live with the same kind of urgency that these guys had, that I'd do anything I can to help that friend meet Jesus, even if it meant carrying him on a mat across town. Verse, uh, where are we? Verse uh, 19. So they went up to the roof, and they took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I imagine this was an awkward moment because imagine like you're in this crowded, sweaty, there's no AC there. Like it's this crowded, sweaty little house and you've got Jesus in the middle and there's crowds everywhere and there's the enemies in the back of the room just shaking their head at everything Jesus is doing. And these houses, the way they were set up, they had like an outside staircase that went up to the roof and these were tiny houses. So they didn't have like uh, a porch or like a, you know, a front yard. They didn't have any. They were like little tiny houses like, you know, like millennials, like living in those little tiny houses. They were like the first century version of those where it's like, you got to be as efficient as you can with your space. So the roof, that was their back porch. So they had these stairs that went up and like, it was common that people would hang out and talk and interact 
on the roof. And like, you're right there, and then your neighbor's right there on his roof too, and you can just hop on over. So like, that was where they socialized. These guys knew that the only way they'd be able to take this guy to Jesus was not through the front door. It was through the roof. So they went up, and like the roof were, were made of these like clay slates, and then this thick layer of mud. And so they, imagine you're in this little house, and Jesus is teaching, and this isn't, like, this didn't happen quickly, okay? This isn't like Hulk came in and just punched a hole, and then dude fell down, right? This was probably like a slow, awkward moment where Jesus is teaching, and then all of a sudden, you start to hear banging on the roof, and you're like, what in the world? And mud is falling down, and then some dude's hand comes in, and you're like, what is going on right now? And then, like, a guy lowers Imagine how awkward that'd be to be this guy. Like, they're already mad at Jesus. Now they're mad at this guy, too. And he's like, I, my friends made me do it. I don't know what, I just kind of ended up, I was on the roof a minute ago. Like, imagine this moment. But look how Jesus responds to it. He's not irritated or annoyed or frustrated. Even though he's surrounded by people, he's trying to teach. Look how he responds. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, you got to clean up everything in your life first. Right? He doesn't say, I need to know everything you've done. You're too broken. You've got to get polished and then come to me. See, that's a myth a lot of people have. They think, I can't come to Jesus because I've messed up so much that I've got to get cleaned up before I can come to him. And what they have it backwards. You can't clean yourself up. Before you come, you have to come dirty to Jesus because you know the only thing that can clean you up? Jesus. So we have to come dirty to Him because if we think that we can rid the filth and the junk and the sin and the disobedience and the brokenness and the pain in our lives, if we think we can get rid of all that before coming to Jesus, then we're thinking way too high of ourselves because the only thing that can redeem me and the only thing that can clean me up is coming before my Creator, the perfect Father and allowing him to clean me up. And what he's looking for is not somebody who thinks they have this polished life. He's looking for somebody who desperately comes before him and says, I can't rid my pain on my own. You have to heal me, Jesus. And he sees that and he says what? Your sins are forgiven. A lot of times we get that backwards. Last week, Brandon talked about the inconveniencing of our lives in order to help somebody around us. Isn't this the perfect example of it? Like, what if all of us lived with such an urgency that if we had a friend who was in pain and we knew the only way they could be healed is if they came to know Jesus? Like, and we were willing, like, they, they cleared their schedule that day for him. It's not like, you know, I'd love to, to connect you with Jesus, but I got to work today. Like, these guys cleared their schedules because they knew this might be the only opportunity that Jesus is passing through that village, and so we're going to bring this guy over. Okay, it's too crowded. All right, let's go. Let's do anything we can to bring this guy to Jesus. Inconvenience, anything in our life. Even if it meant, like, those guys were probably shamed in that village forever after that because those are the guys that put a hole in that guy's roof. And whosoever house that was was probably all mad at him, and it's like, I'm going to sue you now. Like, right, like, all that stuff was on the line there. But the mission mattered more. We'll do whatever it takes if it meant one more friend knowing that hope. So what holds us back from having that same urgency? Like, what, what's the barrier for you? Because I think we can all identify the different things in our lives that, that stop us from living with that urgency. Even if you know Jesus, 
And even if you know your friends and their spiritual destiny, if Jesus doesn't intervene, and yet we still get too busy, right? And so here's what we wanted to do. A few times a year, we almost step back from like our normal teaching, and we just have what we call a check-in. And it's a chance for you to kind of self-assess where you're at in your spiritual journey. And this is for you, it's not for us. This is a chance for you to just kind of step back and say, how am I doing? A lot of times we do this at work, or you do this in school. Like, like we have all these different ways of kind of just determining, are we, doing, are we growing in our faith or not? Um, and, and we like to do that just to help you, because sometimes we just don't spend enough time reflecting and asking ourselves if we're growing in the right direction, and what are the things that are slowing us down from doing that? So the language we like to use is, um, and this is only you can answer this, and by the way, there's not a wrong answer. The wrong answer is you being dishonest, um, but are you a guest, a friend, or family here at Grace Church? And let me define that. Imagine that you're going to a huge party. Um, like, has anybody ever been to a party where you didn't know the person who was hosting it? Like a friend invited you? We've all been to a party like that, right? Like you would be a guest there where uh, like you're not a friend of the host and you're not a family of the host. You're, you were invited by a friend that came. And what's your expectation when you go to that party? Just have a good time, right? Like there's not a high expectation that you need to bring anything. It's for you to come and to enjoy yourself, to have a good experience. Like, that's what the host of the party wants. That's how we feel about if you're a guest here, if you call yourself a guest here, we don't ask anything of you. We don't ask anything from you. We just want you to come and to have a good time, to have a good experience, and hopefully you're encouraged and you want to come back and learn more about God. In fact, the only thing you'll ever ask, uh, you'll ever hear us ask for if you're a guest is to just let us know that you are here so that we know how we can pray for you and we can send you a gift. So any information you put on that communication card, it allows us to follow up and send you a gift in the mail. That's all we ask from our guests because they're, you're a guest. We're not going to ask anything from you. Now, the friends, like if you went to a party and a friend invited you, um, the expectation might be a little different, right? Like you might, you might pick up like chips or a pie or a drinks on the way because like you're kind of contributing to the party a little bit. You don't necessarily have to come early, but because you know the host... Um, you're helping towards the party, right? It's like a potluck. Um, now, family, they take responsibility for the party, right? So the last time your family hosted a party, like everybody's kind of involved. And like a lot of times it starts a few days early where like you might be prepping for it and picking up things and going to the grocery store and you might be paying for some of the stuff and you might, and who's, who's the last one staying after the party ends? The family, right? They're the ones cleaning up. They take responsibility for it. So friends here, are people that, like, you, you may say that you know Jesus, and this is your church, and you've been coming here regularly, and you like it here, and you might even invite people with you because you like it and you trust it, but you'd willingly say that there's, there's like, something that, like, you'd say you're on the team, but you, maybe you're not in the starting lineup because maybe you're busy, maybe you're still kind of giving it time, and that's totally fine. You might be a friend. Where you wouldn't say you're family yet, you're somewhere in the middle there, and you're, you're, you like willingly admit that there's some things holding you back. For some of you, you know that there's some shifts that you need to make in your life before you could truly go all in on following Jesus. And you might even know what those are. But what it means is giving up control or sacrifice or, or like, like it takes a lot of faith and you're just not quite there yet. You might be friend. But family, family are the people that are all in. 
They're taking responsibility for what God is doing here at Grace Church. These are the people that are coming early. These are the people that are wearing the shirts. These are the people that come in well before you to get everything ready. These are the people that are owning the mission, that are living out the values of Grace Church. Now, I think most of us want to say we're family, but with family, it comes higher expectations and higher responsibilities. Because when you join somebody's family, like, they, like I hold my family to a higher standard than I do friends that come over to my home, right? Like the expectations that I have for my family and for my wife and for my daughters and for myself are different than if I had a friend come and hang over and watch, like watch football with me. Like we have certain things that we like to live out. And that if a friend came over, I'm not going to hold them to that same standard. We say the same with our church family here, that if you are committed to being a part of our church family, um, we, we need your help. But we also ask that you're willing to live out the values that God put, has put on our heart too, to be biblically centered. Meaning we don't adjust the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Like we don't adjust a lot of the Bible to make, so like whatever's most convenient for us or whatever we want it to say, like a lot of people do that. They look at the Bible and then they just pick and choose so that it says what they want it to say. That's not the Bible. We don't get to determine truth. Truth was determined before any of us were born. Our job is to adjust to what truth is. We don't get to rewrite it and shift things around so that it's most convenient to us. Being personally involved is another one of our values, which means that we believe that if you're a family member, we want you to be involved in it. There's a jersey for you. There's a role for you to play. And just as with your family, if you're a part of a healthy family, everybody's involved in it. It's not just somebody coming and showing up in the bare minimum, but like that's your family. Like you have a role. You've got a seat at the table. One of our values is being outwardly focused. And we ask our family members to be outwardly focused with us. Here's what that means. We don't believe Grace Church exists for Christians. We believe Grace Church is Christians and exists to reach those that don't know Jesus yet, which means our focus will always be that as our top priority over people that are already here. It doesn't mean we look past you. It means that our mission is to urgently live for the person who's in pain and disconnected from God. Now, if you are here and you need prayer or you need care or you need counseling, we have all types of ministry to help you with that. In fact, the first thing I'd say is get involved in a life group because it's in a life group that you're going to receive that care and that prayer. If you need counseling, we're here to help you. If you need financial help, if you have a utility that's about to be turned off, if you need gas to get home, talk to us. We want to help you. Our mission is to constantly chase and reach the people that aren't here yet because that's what Jesus told us to do. And then the last one is being radically generous. That's, our, that's one of our values that we ask of our members. And what that means is if you recognize that Jesus's grace has saved you and rescued you from your sin, and so now instead of an eternal destiny towards, towards hell, you have an eternal destiny towards heaven, wouldn't we want to live a life of generosity? Well, look at all that God has given me. Now I want to give back to him, and that's reflected in how I view everything in my life, how I view my monthly budget, how I view my finances, how I view my, my gifts, how I view my career, how I view my life decisions. Because I am no longer my own. I have chosen to follow God, which means I yield to him. That's the expectations we have for somebody who is ready to be family and own this with us and help us to keep moving forward. Because that's the expectations that Christ puts on those who enter into his family. So which one do you consider yourself here? Don't yell it out, just 
kind of make a mental note because what we're going to do is I want you guys to pull up on your phone. Um, that's grace.org um, slash check-in. And again, even if you're a guest and you check no to all these, um, I think it's still good for you to fill it out because six months from now you might come and you might fill them out again and you might check a few different answers. And what it does is it allows us and you to see where you're growing spiritually. That's why we ask everybody to do it. That's grace.org slash check-in. Now, if you're here and um, you don't have access on your phone uh, or you, your phone doesn't have internet um, for whatever reason and you want a paper copy, um, uh, could I get a few of our greeters? Um, who's back there? Marcy, Fred. Um, could, could, if you need a paper copy and you'd rather fill that out, could you just slip up your hand real quick and a few of our greeters are going to come and pass it over uh, and pass one to you just to fill out. It's the exact same thing, but we have it online and we have the paper. Yeah, they're right over there. Um, just keep your hand up until you get one. Um, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk through this with you. And again, don't be freaked out. There's no covenant to any of this. We do this to help you to determine spiritually where you're at. And sometimes by articulating it and by putting it down, you, you kind of get to answer some questions that you might not think through normally. Um, here's what it says. Um, how to be a part of this church family. This is the top part. Um, are you guys there? That's grace.org slash check-in or the card. Um, there's two parts to this. The first is a lot of people ask, how do you become a member here at Grace Church? Um, now, a lot of churches do this very differently than we do. Um, they, they have like a, like a course you have to go through or like an eight-week. Like I, I went to a church that made you go to like a six-week course growing up. And um, we don't do that because in the Bible, church membership was you were saved, you were baptized, and then you were added to that church that day. And so we do it very similar that we said, have you turned from your sin to follow Jesus? Have you been baptized underwater since you started following Jesus? So that's different than a baby baptism. Because a baby baptism wasn't your choice. That was your family's choice in hopes that you would have every chance you could to find and follow Jesus on your own. But water baptism in the New Testament, that's a choice you make after you decided to follow Jesus. We did that two weeks ago where 10 people came forward and said, I am choosing to make public my decision to follow Jesus. Are you in agreement with our beliefs? Online, there's even a link that if, you, if you'd rather hold off and look at those beliefs for a little bit and then come back and fill it out later, that's fine too. Um, but a lot of you have been coming for a while and, and you find that you agree with our theology. Um, and then the last is you want to be a member. Those are the four things that we say. We're not forcing anybody towards membership, but, but that's what it looks like if, you, if you're ready to take that step and go from friend to family member. Um, that's what it looks like. And let me, before we jump into the second section... I just want to say this. I just want to pause for a moment. Um, if you haven't turned from your sin to follow Jesus, let me explain what that means. Because a lot of people in this room either haven't grown up in a church at all, and that's kind of new language, or maybe you grew up in a different kind of church that used different language, and that might be confusing. We believe that knowing Jesus, it's all about having a relationship with Jesus. It's not a physical relationship. It's a spiritual relationship relationship. And that relationship begins when we make the conscious decision to acknowledge that you, that me, that everybody in this room, that we are sinners, which means that we've been disobedient to God and selfish towards others. Um, and we all have. Uh, we can be in denial about that, but the truth is we're all broken. We all fall short. Even the greatest man or woman that you know is a sinner. What bridges the gap between us and God and the sin that creates this gap between us is Jesus, because God, who came in the human form of a man named Jesus, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, 
And then he did something that nobody else did. He rose from the dead, and he conquered death. And then he stood and he said, instead of you being punished for your sins, I laid down the sacrifice for you. Now all you have to do is turn and say, God, I want your will before my own. So even before we jump to this next section, I just want to pause and pray and give, if you've never taken that step and you're ready to take that step, I just want to walk through that with you and help coach you through a prayer that I would pray in my heart if I were you. So let's pray together really quick. Dear Lord, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of what you have for me. I've been disobedient to you and I've put my selfishness before the needs of the people around me. God, forgive me. I want to turn from my sin and follow you. I want to have a relationship with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if that's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that, we believe you're at the beginning of a spiritual journey, and it's so exciting. And your next step would be getting involved here. And the next time we have baptisms, it's acknowledging the decision that you made. Because that decision, that's the beginning of a journey. But that doesn't mean the box is checked so I can go forever. That'd be like getting married, and then you just leave after that. And you're like, your, your spouse never sees you again, right? Like, that's the beginning. That's the vow. That's the decision that you have made. It's, and there's nothing magical about that prayer. It's just the first step towards God. So let me get to the second part, uh, growing spiritually. Now, this again, this is just for you. And we ask you to be honest because we don't grade these. In fact, this is like an automated thing that, like, I don't go through all of these and I say, wow, they're struggling with being intentional. Man, like, I don't do anything like that because this is between you and God. But being honest allows you to know where you're at. And we have, um, we have a system in place that, based on how you check these boxes, we will email you um, resources from a partnership we have with Right Now Media, which has online resources that if you are struggling with generosity because you're in debt or because you're struggling to budget or because you have like a lot of school loans or credit card debt, like we want to send you resources to help you. That's why we're doing it. So the first one is um, being generous. Um, these are the nine habits that we consider a growing Christ follower to have. Um, being generous, do you give to God first? Um, and what that means is if you've decided to follow Jesus, um, the way that you pledge your allegiance to him is before you choose to spend your finances on anything else, you first give back to God because he's your top priority. And in that is an acknowledgement of faith that by giving to God, he's going to take care of you because you're willingly choosing to live below your own means. Are you being generous, relational? Are you prioritizing community with other Christ followers? Intentional, are you helping others that are spiritually disconnected find faith in Jesus? Involved, are you, surfing, are you serving here at Grace Church yet? So just go through these and, and just check where, wherever you're at. Um, devoted, how are you setting a godly example at home? A lot of us, like, we're really good at coming to church and thinking about God then, but, but are you still living that out on Tuesday night or on Wednesday morning at work, like throughout the week? Do the people around you say, like, yeah, absolutely, that person's a godly person? Uh, devoted, uh, responsible, how are you blessing the people around you? We believe every Christ follower is to take the responsibility, uh, take responsibility for the needs around them in the community. Even the complete strangers that live on your road, we believe as Christ followers that we're responsible for caring for them. Consistent, how high of a priority are Sunday services for you? 
And the reason we say that is God intends for his church family to come together to worship and to hear his truth. And just a side note, as a former youth pastor, I spent 10 years working with uh, middle school, uh, high school, and college students. And here's what I found. I'm going to be a little blunt here. Um, The families whose kids had activities that made their church attendance seasonal because those activities were on Sundays and then church was on Sundays and they'd come when those weren't happening, whether they intended to or not, what they were conveying to their kids was that church wasn't the top priority. That activity was. And when you put them head to head, that activity won. And while it may feel harmless, what you're conveying to your kid is when they grow up, it's okay for them to do the same thing. And generally, the kids I found that when they went off to college viewed church as optional were the ones whose parents showed them that church was optional. So when my kids are old enough to play sports or old enough to be involved in school activities, our Sunday mornings will always be top priority Because to me, what's most important, even if it's a great sports league and we have friends and all, my my first priority is to make sure my kids know that God is a top priority in our household, and that's a value that we put. And I've only got 18 years with them, so I'm going to do everything I can to put that first. All right, I'm off my soapbox here. Uh, Faithful, (laughs) how often do you spend time with God throughout the week? Um, uh, God wants to have a relationship with you, and it's not just on Sundays. Um, he wants, he wants you to know who he is, and he wants to be a part of your life. And so if the only time you think about God is on Sundays, you're probably not going to develop a very deep relationship with him. Just like if in your marriage you only talk to each other on Sunday mornings, you're probably not going to have a very trusting relationship. Uh, encouraging, how much are you helping your Christian friends grow in their faith? Here's the best way to answer that. Do your friends feel closer to God because they're friends with you? To me, that, if, if, if you're living out a spirit of encouragement, your friends should naturally be growing closer because of your friendship. Um, let me close with this. Um, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is just a picture of what the God's church family is supposed to look like, and it's a whole lot different than how most of the people in the world describe a church. Listen to this. It's all about the people. It has nothing to do with the building. It's all about these trusting relationships that they have. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Listen to that generosity. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes, just like we do with life groups, for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So if you're a guest, here's your next step. Keep giving God a chance in your life. Keep coming and just seeing what he might want to do in your life. Come with open eyes, open ears, and an open heart. Just see what God might do. Because there's a lot of people in this room that a year ago would have said they were a guest. And they said, I'm going to keep coming. And now they're family. Because when you open yourself up to God, he shows up. If you're a friend and you're ready to take that next step, the next step for you 
If you're ready to get involved, to join a life group, if you're ready to call this your church home, tonight at 5 p.m., we do this once a month, one Sunday a month, the first Sunday of the month, we have our, our next meet and greet. And that's what we call, it's like the equivalent of a becoming a member class, except you don't have to come to it to become a member. But what that does is that gives us a chance to meet each other. We don't want you to anonymously become a member and then just be a secret member. Like, we want to meet you guys. And so it's usually a small group of about 10 or 15 people every month. Um, tonight at 5 p.m. in the Connection Center. You can just show up. You don't even have to RSVP for this. Um, we have child care. Um, so, like, if you have kids and you need to bring them, it's about an hour long. Um, we'll have coffee and we'll just chat. I'll talk a little bit more about what we believe, about our mission, about how you can get involved, and then give you a chance to ask any questions that you have, especially if you're kind of newer to Grace Church and you're trying to figure out why we do what we do. That's what that is for. Um, so if that's your next step, um, then, then come back at 5 o'clock tonight. It's about an hour long. It's very casual, um, and you don't, you don't have to do anything. You need to show up for that. Um, if you're already family, your next step might be just stepping back this week, and as you go into this new ministry year, is just ask yourself, how can I contribute more? And I'm not just talking about money. Like We're not talking about that. I'm talking about like in your life, what has God given you for the purpose of kingdom? Like, what has God given you, your passion, your heart, your position? Maybe some of you, all of a sudden, like, you have a little bit more time on your hands. Like, how has God positioned you to make a deeper impact for Him? I can't answer that. That's different for each person. But that's a question that I would wrestle with if I was a family member. Um, uh, this is the final story. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to do something really special that we do a few times a year, which is take the Lord's Supper together, which is a very meaningful time for our church family. Um, last week I went to Vermont um, and I got to hike with my family, uh, with my wife, and we have a four-year-old daughter, Hazel, and uh, an almost two-year-old daughter, Holly. And so like this hill was way steeper than we thought it was. And if you've ever hiked with a four-year-old and a two-year-old, um, that's harder than it seems. And that's why Holly just became a backpack, basically, as you can tell, <laughs> because they did not want to hike up this hill. And the app that we found it on said it's a slow, steady, two-and-a-half-mile hike. It ended up being four-and-a-half miles, which is longer than two-and-a-half, I noticed. And, um, and we were exhausted and kind of frustrated because we're like, when are we getting to the top of this thing? Um, and, like, our kids are tired and, like, their legs are tired. But we got to the top. And at the very top was this random cabin with like the steepest, longest ladder I've ever seen that my four-year-old raced up and it gave me a heart attack. And at the very top of that house was this lookout to where you could see Vermont for miles. And isn't that gorgeous? Now, we didn't know that was up there, but we got up there and we took a picture and like it was all worth it for that, right? For that moment. If you guys have had time with your family, you're like, okay, that was worth it. Hiking up the hill was exhausting, but to be able to see from that view was worth it. Spiritually, following Christ is the harder thing. It's way easier to not follow Jesus. Some people think going to church is the easy way out. I think it's the opposite. I think just doing whatever I want for the rest of my life is the easy way out. Following Jesus, where I'm putting his needs and then the needs of everybody around me and then me third, that's sacrificial. That's that uphill hike but what you get in return is you get to see your life from God's perspective. You get to see and view your life farsighted, not nearsighted. You get to think about how God wants to use your life to impact eternity and create a legacy that's way beyond your time here on earth. That's worth it. 
God is not done here yet. He's just getting started here at Grace and in your life, and we want you to do everything you can to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Lord, I am just thankful for what you are doing here at Grace Church, God, and I'm thankful to know that you are so big that you can hear all of our prayers at the same time and respond to them, and that even though you're, you're a father to millions and millions and millions, you have this personal relationship with all of your followers, God. So for anybody here that took that first step and said, I'm ready to join the family and say yes to Jesus, God, they're now a part of a family that never goes away, a family that has a perfect father. And even though the family's made up of broken people, we have a perfect father that makes everything okay. Lord, for those that, that are struggling with where they're at and with doubts and with questions, um, God, I just want to pray specifically for them. God, work in their lives. Answer, answer the questions that are on their hearts, God. Um, God, as a church, I pray that we can become more centered on you. We can become more involved. God, if there's people here that are spectators and they know they're ready to put on the jersey and jump on the field, if there's people that have the jersey on but they've just been hanging on the sidelines, God, I pray that we as a church can respond to what you are doing to try to keep up. We need more people to help, God. We need more players on the field, God. So I pray that as a church, you can show us how we can be involved in that, how we can be more generous with what you've given us. God, we lift this up to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.